That was my uh, fanfare. That was my fanfare music with my mouth. That's my... Why is it a fanfare? Because it's episode 200 of What's for Dinner. 200 episodes. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I can't, can't believe 200 episodes. I've been doing this that long. First of all, thank you to everybody listening, whether you're new or whether you've been listening since the beginning. I do get uh, emails from people who say they, uh, they, they, they enjoy the show, so thank you guys for your support. Uh, 200 episodes in, here's to 200 more. Uh, this episode is fun. Uh, it's the first time having uh, this guest on, a uh, very funny comedian, uh, Grant Pachoco, better known as Throwing Toasters. An incredibly funny musical uh, comedian who now works with uh, the Henson Company doing their Puppet Up show. Um, very, very funny. We talked a lot about, um, first of all, mutual love for Weird Al and uh, how he got into comedy from the San Francisco area, getting into music, incorporating that, and then getting into uh, the uh, Henson Company and Puppet Up. It's really a very informative, very fun show. And um, also, let me just say, too, before I forget, uh, today, February 14th, happy Valentine's Day. Hope you guys are enjoying yourself. I hope if you do have a significant other, you are spending quality time with them. I know I am, even though I'm recording this a couple of weeks before you're hearing this. I know that I'm going to be enjoying myself this Valentine's Day because currently, right now, I am with my significant other, my lovely wife, Allison, along with another very funny comedy couple, Dante and Rebecca Cochin. And we are uh, on tour in Europe right now doing a big military tour. Um, if you happen to be um, in the military and somewhere in Europe, you might be uh, seeing us. Um, sometime this month. Uh, all the dates, um, well, the dates are on my website, but I don't think any locations are. Hey, if you're in the military, you hear this, you want to know where we're going to be, shoot me an email, flip at flipshultz.com. I'll let you know where we are. Maybe we're on your base. You come see us. Um, but uh, I'm, again, even though I'm recording this two weeks before the show airs, I'm sure we're having a great time on tour. Um, and hey, if you are in the South Florida area, that's my home place, my hometown, I'll be back for one show on March 16th at the Boca Black Box Theater. Uh, you can go to their website or my website and get any information and uh, come out and see me. Um, it's, I, I very rarely, sadly, rarely get to perform at uh, my, my home anymore, even though L.A. is my home, or L.A. is where I live, Florida will always be my home. Anyway, I am going to get uh, shutting up and quit my rambling. You guys, sit back, enjoy episode 200 of What's for Dinner with Grandpa Choco, a.k.a. Throwing Toasters. Bye bye. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What's for dinner? Talking, talking about whatever's on their minds. Talking, talking about whatever's on their minds. Um, yeah, I just. I haven't seen Weird Al in LA since uh, the Poodle Hat tour, I think. That might be. Was it at the. Uh, was it the Greek? No. No, the. Uh, or was it the Greek? It might have been the Greek. I think it was. That's yeah. where I saw it last. Was I saw him last? Was the Greek? Yeah, because I saw him do the. Um, um, I guess I saw the Alpocalypse show, and mm-hmm. then yeah, I saw Alpocalypse, and then I saw Mandatory Fun, uh, two years ago in Florida, so August of 2015. But yeah, I haven't seen him out here in a while. Did you see the Mandatory tour? No, I did not. Yeah, uh, that's funny because you say in Florida because I was on tour with Puppet Up. <laughs> I was on. I think it was the same time you were out in Florida too. Was it? And yeah, and I was on tour with Puppet Up, and then uh, we were in. We were near Orlando, and Al was like 
directly across Florida. Yeah, he was might, on the other side of Florida. Yeah, that might have been because uh, that's when it, I saw him, like uh, Gainesville, somewhere yeah, like, yeah, but yeah, just opposite there. Orlando. So and I had, uh, I had messaged. Um, I had messaged John, and I was like, "Oh, if you guys want to come to the Puppet Up show? Let me know," because um, I knew I think they had a day off the next day or something like that. And he mm-hmm. goes, oh, it's, it's just a little bit too far from where we are." And anyway, across the state, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so you're still in touch with John too, because you, yeah, you just got like to, on Facebook you, and stuff. You got to open for L too, right? Yes, just one one show, one time. Where was that? That was in uh, Kelseyville, California, at the Canocti Harbor. Um, it was Canocti Harbor Inn, but they had like an amphitheater. Okay. And so it was, uh, an, it was an indoor venue, wasn't like a county. No, it was like, like an that. outdoor. It was like an outdoor amphitheater type place. It was oh, very wow. nice. It was very cool. Cool. Uh, and it was actually Barbara Holiday was my manager. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, and they called her <laughs> looking for. Um, uh, oh, I forget his name, but he's a Native American comedian. Oh, um, Larry Omaha. No, 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 no. It's uh, and it's not J.R. Redwater either. It's it's uh, another guy that she represented, and he was unavailable for the date. And then she was like, "I have someone else who might be, who <laughs> might be good." He's not Native American, but he's American. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think that was that. That's just who they were looking for. I just forget right. his name. But uh, anyway, so yeah, and and she was like, she called me and she goes, "Are you sitting down? I just booked you to open for Weird Al." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Oh, that's uh, so cool." And then it was awesome. Like it was. Uh, it was great. how long ago was this? 2007? 2000, I think it was the Straight Out of Linwood tour. Okay, if that's the yeah, correct yeah. time. Yeah, that sounds about right cuz that was a um Couch Potato yeah. album, right? Yeah. 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 So, and I just I went up there and everyone No, was no, that was nice. White Nerdy. White Nerdy, right. Poodle Hat was yeah. uh Cash potato, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, but you didn't know Barbara was submitting you for that. No, she. It was already booked when she called me. She was oh, like, wow. "I told him you're going to do it, so you're going to do it, right?" <laughs> and it's like, it's up near like Sacramento. Okay. So and it was, um, I think she called me like on a Tuesday or something, and it was Friday night. Uh, so I was like, "Oh, okay." And um, but anyway, it was just great, and and I got up there early, and um. John uh, Bermuda Schwartz took me around and was like, "Oh, here's this, and here's this, and here's how yeah, we do John's this, a great and, guy. and here's how we do this, and uh, here's your dressing room." And then that was the mo- that was the time I went and performed, <laughs> and I think I only did like five songs or something, and I brought all the CDs I had with me, <laughs> um, which was you know probably about thirty CDs or something. I didn't have a ton of them, and. The um, you were they they let you sell your merch of this? Yeah, they did, wow. and uh, they they were like, oh yeah, you can have this table right here. You can put out CDs and stuff. Oh, wow. And I wasn't and, able to do that. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like I just I was just like, oh, I brought CDs. Could I sell? And they're like, yeah, just come right here to the table. Oh wow. And then um, my friend Doug went with me, and then the girl he was dating at the time, and she was like, oh well, I'll stay here by the table while you you know like after you perform and just be here. And she messaged Doug like right after I got off my set. She was like, "You need to get out here now because there's like a huge line of people." Like it was amazing. Like <laughs> wow. it was just so great. And I sold out all the CDs. And then that's when I realized why concert merchandise is so expensive, because 
as I was packing up at the end of the night, this guy came around and goes, okay, well, 20% of all your sales go to the... Uh, oh, to the venue. To the venue. And I go, oh, that's why concert t-shirts are 60 bucks, bucks each, yeah. you know, um, because they have to make that up. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. But still, it was it was amazing. It was great. That's very cool. Yeah, I wasn't... Because uh, I first time I opened for L was at the Hard Rock Live in uh, Orlando. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple other times at some places in Florida and... I, I guess I did, because I, I think at the time I might have had a, yeah, I had an ACD, but I didn't even think to ask if I could sell. I thought it would be like imposing against uh, Al. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool that I guess that he was he would do that for any opening act. I just didn't know. Yeah, I don't, I, it was very, you know, like I, I have talked to John before about, um, and this is just what he said. I don't know if this is the thing, but it's like, oh yeah, you know, Al's show is is so set and it's so timed. We usually don't necessarily have an opening act because right. I was like, why not comedy musicians as your opening act? You know? Yeah. And he was like, well, it's it's kind of, you know, it's all set and we don't really like to do, you know, like because if it's as we usually do comedians because they just need a microphone. But if you have a comedy musician, you need a monitor. You need you right, know you right. need to do a sound check and all this stuff. So I was really surprised when this came through and then they were the crew at the venue and al's crew were just like no no we're gonna get you a monitor we're gonna get you like they were so accommodating and so nice that's you know? awesome like it was it was See, really great i would think a musical act would go would be a great opener for al because i know when i did it i mean i had fun but i figure a musical uh comedy act would uh get the crowd kind of in that mindset pre-al right like did you i mean did you feel a good vibe from them yeah yeah, it was it was fantastic. I mean, it was um, it was it was great. Like, and it was yeah. I, I don't even like it was it was one of the greatest shows I've ever done. And I mean, it was like five thousand people. Wow! And oh man, to hear like a hear a laugh come back at you, which is like was like really weird you know it's like because you say a joke and it gets a laugh and you hear the laugh from right in front of you but then a second later you hear this it laugh kind of comes back. back yeah yeah and uh yeah i was you know like that's always on my resume because it was like the coolest thing <laughs> oh yeah ever you know uh to to open for him and and then right off stage like i just you know like i I'm, i get when i perform i get so like Okay, I got everything to do right. I don't want to make any. I don't want to hold the show up at all. So like, I immediately grabbed all my stuff and 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 took it off. And um, I remember we even did this little bit where during this one song, Doug came out as my roadie and he just brought a chair and he set it next to me like during the song and I kicked it over and then he just picked up the chair and walked off with the chair. Like that's <laughs> the only reason he brought it out and they love that. And then I just grabbed all my cables as soon as I was done. Like I was like my own little, my own roadie, you know, mm-hmm. grabbing my tuner and everything and heading off stage. And then uh, Al stuck his head up because they have like, it wasn't like dressing rooms, it's like trailers because it's an amphitheater. It's right. like outdoors. And uh, I hear Grant and I turn on this Al and he's like, great job. You know, big thumbs up and everything. Oh, so that's it was, awesome. It was awesome. It was that's really cool. That's so cool. Yeah. That is really cool. I know because uh, Grant and I, um, one of, I think one of the first things that we, because we met, was it Wired for Laughs? Yeah, Back in maybe. like 98? <laughs> yeah. That was that Steve Marmel thing that he put together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Grant and I, we so... met on a, on a message board, a comedy message board. This is before the internet was. It was like it a was. news group, too. It was a news group, a news yeah. group yeah. It was yeah. a news group. It was alt.comedy.standup, I think, was a news yep, group. that was it, yeah. Yep. And um, Steve Marmel, who's now a very um, successful animated uh, animation writer and uh, producer... He's also a great comic. He put this thing together called Wired for Laughs. 
And you and I first met at that, and yeah. I think we had an Al connection there, but it didn't really, I think, hit us, uh, for me anyway, it didn't really hit me until I saw you at Alfest. Yeah. Which was that uh, Weird Al fan. Um, the one in Orange County? Yeah. Down in Orange I think County. that was 2009 or 10. I'm horrible with years, but yes. I, it was It was one <laughs> yeah. of those because I was, I'd lived, uh, I'd moved in with uh, Allison at that time. So it was either 09 or 10. And you performed at it. I yeah. just went as a fan. Yeah. But you were actually booked to perform at that. Yes. I forget who put it, who put that together because there was the, the Alcon conventions that right. happened right around 2000. Mm-hmm. And then, and um, they did like Amanda Cohen did those for two years and um, they were huge. And like Al even showed up at the second one. And um, were you at those? Yeah. I, I, uh, I was, I performed at the second one. Okay. Uh, I missed the first one, but I was... So this is I before performed. you even opened for Al, officially? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, one of the craziest things was I was just about to start my set, and they were like, oh, we're going to hold for a second. I was okay, and I could hear some sort of, like, rumbling. I mean, it was just... It was in a hotel conference room, rumbling from the audience, and then, <laughs> I go, what's going on there? Oh, Al and Suzanne just got here. They're just sitting down. And, they, and I was like, oh, okay. And so I go out the front row, and there's Weird Al and, and uh, his wife sitting right in the front row. Oh, my God. Um, so, but then, you know, he was very complimentary and uh, stuff. So, and then I think, I don't know who put on that second one. And I'm, if they're listening, I apologize if I don't remember exactly who put on that second one. But um, they asked me to perform at it. They were like, oh, would you want to perform? Uh, and I said, yeah. And then it was funny because that was that was after I had opened for Al, and I had asked John at the um, when I did open for Al, I go, could you just come out and play Egg Shaker on one song? And he was like, oh, I really can't do that, you know, like when I opened for him. And so this, I go, remember when I asked that? Would you do it here? And he goes, yeah, sure, I'll do it here. So oh, that's right, he did. He played yes, Egg Shaker. He I came remember out that. And just yeah. played Egg Shaker, like no expression on his face. Like he was just standing there, like mm, okay, <laughs> it was great. It was so funny. Oh, that's yeah. I remember because. Uh, uh, John and Jim were both there. Yeah, because Jim so. was doing. He was. I remember him. He was playing his uh, Hawaiian, Hawaiian stuff. Yeah, slack key guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah while while people were uh, in line for the uh, Victoria Jackson Getty Watanabe autograph. Yeah, signing shit. That's so you. And we're about the same age. So like, um, did Al? Because your your um, act is it's pretty musical. That's the uh, the the core of what you do. Yeah. Was Al an influence to you being a musical comic or did you just kind of discover Al because you were into like music musical comics? No, no, no. I I heard Al first. I heard um Eat It was what I heard first. Uh that's the that's the first thing I heard and then of course I got the album and then I found out he had an, an earlier album so I got mm-hmm. that and I just became a fan and I loved um my my thing was that he took popular songs that I kind of felt were like over, even at a young age, this was like, oh, here's Michael Jackson's Beat It again. Wait, but here's some guy making fun of it, you know? And I thought that was really hilarious. Um, and then I noticed uh, on the back, and it was actually the back of the first album, he thanked Dr. Demento. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, who's Dr. Demento? I don't know oh, who wow. that is. Like, I'd never heard of him. And uh, come to find, and I don't know exactly how I found out, but at a very young age, like, you know, eight, nine or 10 or something, I found out that he had this radio show and it was on in San Francisco where I grew up. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm -hmm. It was on every Sunday night. And my, uh, he was on from 10 to midnight, 
which was past my bedtime at, right. that, at that age. But my dad said, like, oh, I'll record it for you. And so I every he would record, you know, they'd set up a tape recorder and mm-hmm. he would record the, uh, the I think I got, I usually get like the first hour of the show on a 30 minute. And he, when I would stop, he would turn it over and stuff. And so my comedy music world just exploded. Um, and of course, at the, at the time, we had Walkman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Sony Walkman. So I would sneak that into bed and be listening to Dr. Demento while, you know, while, uh, you're, you're, while I was falling asleep. Right, you know? right, right. And like, I just remember the first time hearing Stan Freeberg's History of the United States of America. Mm. Here, I heard the the 4th of July cut off of that. And like, I was like, oh my, what is this? Like how, like, and like, that was, I think, one of the earliest shows I heard. And I was just, became a fan of all this other comedy music. So then, and then in high school, which was a couple of years later, I wanted to write parodies, and I would just and change. had you been playing guitar? No, no, not at all. I just wanted to write like, like I was just writing parodies. Like I was just uh, like um, uh, the one I remember was Def Leppard's uh, "Pour Some Sugar on Me," and I just like, oh, it'd be funny if it's "Pour Some Sugar in My Coffee," and which is not funny. But <laughs> you, can I just tell you what's hilarious? Yes. I did the exact same thing. Oh, I wrote, really? I wrote par- I still have them. They're in a notebook, handwritten <laughs> from when I was in like middle school. And I did a parody of Pour Some Sugar on Me. Oh, really? Called Put a Booger on Me. <laughs> See, yours is much funnier. But, than... I, but I went blue. I went yeah. blue at such a young age. You 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 went above. You 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 were the thinking man's Pour Some Sugar on Me parody. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Pour Some it's Sugar in My, my coffee. coffee. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't... Um, and then I remember, like, I sub- in high school there was a literary magazine that the for the school district, and you could submit things to it. And I was like, I'm going to submit these lyrics, and they're going to get printed, and I'm going to be famous for this high school literary magazine. And then I submitted them, and then they got rejected. And then I heard from somebody else; they were like, Yeah, well, we we kind of don't po- publish song lyrics. Uh, and I go, oh, well, well, it was spoken poetry. It was just, yeah. it was just spoken word poetry. So, and then in college. Uh, it was actually right. So there was a kind of a period where I, I was a fan of Al, but uh, I wasn't. You know, I kind of moved away from writing song parodies, and and I would try doing like little sketches and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, uh, anyway, I remember uh, in my senior year or my fourth year of college, uh, I uh, that Alanis Morissette song. Alanis Morissette was hugely popular. Okay. And I thought, like, almost annoyingly so. Yeah. Uh, just really, I mean, she was just everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I now I listen to her stuff, you know, occasionally. So it's not like I hate her, but she was just everywhere. Oh yeah, in ninety six, ninety seven, it yeah, was exactly. the, the years of Atlantis. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I wrote a parody called. Um, it was the first parody I'd written in a long time. Uh, Money in my pocket, oh. instead of hand in my pocket. Right. And it was just like how. Uh, I'm rich and I can't sing, but you're making me rich and uh, you know, a little mean spirited. Uh, almost, um, almost like Aiky Breaky song with Al did yeah, to exactly. Billy Ray. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. And uh, my, but I didn't know how to play it, and I was like, I want to record this. And I was listening to Doctor Demento out here. I want to record this, and I want to send it to Doctor Demento because I'm sure he would play it. And I, but I, I can't play guitar. I don't know how to play guitar. I don't know, and. These kids who were, I call them kids, but they were a few years younger than me. Um, actually, I think maybe they were now seniors, but they were freshmen in high school, but they had a band now, uh, if that makes sense. Like, I was I was almost going to graduate from college, but they were almost going to graduate from high school. High school. Okay. But they had a band, and one of my friends was played bass for them, um, 
And I was like, do you think you guys could record this? Like, we could just come in and record this? And they're all, yeah, sure. So they just quickly figured out how to play the song. And I came in and I sang it and sent it to Dr. Bento. And then he played it. And then I was like, holy cow, okay. And then it became, well, I can't rely on other people. I, I, or it's like, it's, I can rely on other people, but it's harder. Like you right, have to right, wait right. for the generosity of other folks. So, right. um, and I was a huge bare naked ladies fan at the time. And, uh, my mom had an old guitar up in her, uh, closet and I was like, can I borrow this? And she goes, yeah. And this was right in the very first days of where you could look up tabs to songs on the, on internet, the internet okay um which you kind of had weren't able to do before and then i just i went to the music store and i got a book of chords that just showed how to make them and you know how to how to which strings to hit to make those chords and then i would just look up bare naked lady songs learn how to play them and then i would change the chords around and make my own songs so that's kind of how that started that's in, so because usually like I, i've noticed like musical uh comics they were when they were younger they learned an instrument and was like you know, classically trained or took lessons, and then they got older, and you know their sense of humor kind of uh, melded with that talent, and they did that. But you, yeah, you were the opposite. You just were a great writer and a fan of musical comedy, and then decided to learn guitar to fit the humor you already had. Yeah, that's wow. So it's uh, it still worked. I mean, you're a great guitar player. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I. But mean... you'd think like you'd been playing for so many years before you even started oh. writing comedy. <laughs> no, no. I and actually, I found out that I found like I had been writing these songs and and going to do stand, like open mics and stuff and, and performing them. And then like probably a, a year into it, I realized I go, oh, I am making the D chord totally not how you make the D chord. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, this is how I, in my head, I was like, oh, this is how you make a D chord. Right. But uh, like every other professional musician who has learned when they were younger, they're like, no, that's not how you, <laughs> you know, you use, the, you, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. You're still making you're a D chord. You're still making a sound, yeah. But it's like, oh, well, you, it's much easier to change chords if you make the D chord this way to do other things. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and then I just started going out in San Francisco to open mics and just perform it and once i had a couple songs under my belt now, and you were out of college at this point yeah so yeah. did you have a day job and you were doing this at night uh, i was working at um i was working at a record store at the hillsdale mall camelot music okay uh and camelot music wow yeah um and uh and then so when i was when i first started that's what i was doing um my parents were a little bit like uh, they're very cool in that they weren't pressuring me like hey you're out of college you need to get a job mm-hmm. but um i just felt like like i was like well i'm living at home i should be doing something i shouldn't you know i shouldn't just be sitting around right you know hanging out with friends till two o'clock in the morning and then doing, doing an nothing. open mic yeah here and there right and um i was auditioning uh just for acting because i had a degree in theater so i was auditioning in san francisco for commercials and and whatever and i kind of felt this thing like well i want to perform now and I have these songs. What if I just go start doing them at comedy open mics? And um, the first night I went, I remember this, it was the One World Cafe in San Francisco, Friday night. I got so nervous to go up that I just drove right past the place. I didn't even go in. Really? But I had told everybody, oh, I'm going to do an open mic. So I was like, well, I can't go home right away because they'll be like, why are you home? You know. So I just drove around for like two, three hours. I got some dinner somewhere, and then I went home. How was it? Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. It was, oh, it was a lot of fun. And then uh, so I was like, okay, well, next week I have to do it. I felt so guilty. I was like, next week I have to do it. And um, and I did, and and uh, it, 
It uh, with the hardened kind of San Francisco um, kind of comedy crowd. Yeah. You know, comedians, it was a little bit like, ugh, his guitar. Yeah. Oh boy, here we go, you know. And um but I met I met a really good friend, Mike Hollingsworth, who's now the supervising director on Bojack Horseman. Um, but that was his if I would have gone the first night, I would have met him there, but then he had come back the second week and that was his first night, you know, the night I chickened out on. Oh, and so you guys pretty much started at the exact same started time. Started at the exact same time, yeah. Wow. And um and it was good to, you know, connect with somebody like that. And then you did have that support. Like, he'd sit and watch me. I'd sit and watch him. And Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was a, a great guy in... Sorry if I'm rambling. But there was a great guy in San Francisco named Tony Sparks, um, okay. who's a comedian. And, and he was so good at... Um, I started calling him the godfather of comedy in San Francisco because he was just really supportive of everybody. And he was really good at, like you need to go down to the mock cafe and do their open mic because you will kill at the mock cafe. And I would go down to the mock cafe and he was like, Oh my God, this is, he's right. This is, this is like my place. That's what, like, that, that's what I loved. Uh, well, I still love about comedy, but um, what I started at, we, I started at maybe a couple years earlier than you um, uh, down in Florida. And when you're starting out, especially when a group you're starting out, there is that support system. Yeah. You know, and if you're lucky, uh, a few of you make it through the open mic levels become a professional, you know, or start to hit the road a little bit, don't get burnt out or don't get too bitter too soon, and then make it through those years and then become like a pretty standard touring headliner. And if you've really taken that journey with some other comics, it's a really great bonding thing. It's a really great camaraderie. That's what I loved about starting out with comedy is the relationships that you're making yeah. with some of these comics. And it's, it's so cool to hear that you're, you know... That uh, that one guy is now you know EP over here. Yeah, yeah, these, yeah. Mike is great. Yeah, yeah. It's, that that that's one of the the the. I think it's 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 true with all artists, whether you're a comic, musician, dancer, actor. When you're starting out, there's this there's a, a bond that you and certain guys have because you've all been through it together. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was also he was Mike was great in, in that he was somebody who genuinely made me laugh when he went up there too yeah and i was, I was just yeah. like oh i like this guy's really funny yeah you the know? mutual respect thing yeah too. and then we just started seeing each other at every open mic and just started hanging out you know um and yeah he, now, I, we, we still go have lunch uh, all the time oh that's awesome now when you went up for the first time because your professional name when you're doing stand-up <laughs> is throwing toasters <laughs> throwing toasters yes yes where did that come from um it came back from when i got that first song played on dr demento uh, or like right before that and I was I was kind of writing sketches, and um, I had a MIDI keyboard that I was kind of I didn't know how to play, but like was working out really horrible songs on, and sending them to Doctor Demento, and um, I was sending it to him under the name Headhunter Country, as like that was my act name, Headhunter Country, okay. because I worked at the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland, and I just thought like, oh, Headhunter Country, that's the good name for a band, you know. So you're a tour guide on the Jungle Cruise, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, during those college, uh, like ninety three to ninety five. Okay. So right when head I left Disney country. is when I kind of started doing the music stuff. All right. So you were headhunter country. Headhunter country. Okay. Yeah. And I was writing and recording things. Um, uh, I I had jerry rigged th- this home stereo that I had to like take two inputs into the recording thing at one time so I could have music and. Uh, vocals, vocals at the same time, mm. but I couldn't control the levels of you, you know. <laughs> and I would, I would do MIDI, really simple MIDI stuff on my computer, and then hit play, and then run over the microphone and sing, you know. Always had a long intro on the song so I could get across the room. Um, and uh, 
I probably should have just moved it closer. But anyway, <laughs> uh, um, and so I started like head our country, like that's it. And I I made a tape, and there's another guy, Devo Spice, who is still doing comedy songs um, on the East Coast. He he actually created something called the Fump, which is the Funny Music Project. It's a it's an online website where every week they release a new comedy song, oh, wow. and um and you can sign up and and support the artists or the, and they make compilations of the CDs and stuff. But it's there's a lot of great artists on there. But he at the time and connected through, um news group, <laughs> you know news groups on the internet. Um he was putting out a, a tape called Internet Highway Internet Roadkill or something like that, and it was all just funny songs, and he posted about it online and I submitted stuff to that as Headhunter Country. Um, so, and like, I was like, I'm going to release a tape and everything, but then I got weird comments about the name headhunter country. And my aunt like said, so I was like, Oh, I, this is my tape. I'm headhunter country. And my aunt was like, well, headhunting, isn't that a gay thing? That's a, that's a, and I was like, no, I've never heard it that way. But she was like, well, I've, uh, you may want to think about changing it. And then somebody else was like, Oh, that name's kind of racist. That's a little bit of a racist name. And I was like, okay, I... You guys don't get a Disneyland, huh? Right, <laughs> exactly. You don't understand. But I, like, I got enough of those comments where I was like, okay, I think I have to change this name. Mm. And then I was an RA in the dorms at Cal State Long Beach. And um, I just remember that I was, at that time, was, okay, I got to come up with a new name, was just writing down anything somebody said in casual conversation that sounded like a funny band name. And one night I was an RA meeting... And um, this other RA, uh, resident assistant at the mm-hmm. dorms, was was talking about how these two guys in his building were fighting, and and the coordinator goes, well, how bad are they? You know, their roommates. How bad are they fighting? And he goes, well, it's not so bad that they're throwing toasters yet, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> and I just thought throwing toasters. Okay, that's funny. And so I wrote that down, oh. and then that that kind of became. It's not an exciting story, but that's where but the that name should, came so, from. What yeah. do you remember? Any of the other choices that you had on that list? I remember uh, priming the pumpkin was one of them <laughs> because I had a, a a script writing teacher at the theater department at Cal State Long Beach said that he's like, yeah, you don't want to be over there priming the pumpkin or nothing, you know, or something like that. Um, and actually, I had a whole list of them, and I'm sure I still have it somewhere. But I remember that when I first started doing comedy. Um, they would introduce throwing toasters and I would come up and I just come up like, yeah, rock and roll, you know? And this is why the people in San Francisco hated me. Cause it's like, I'm in a coffee shop screaming my head off, you know, hello, San Francisco, you know? And, um, I go, I'd like to thank the opening act, priming, priming the pumpkin. They were great. So I would use that list of failed names as the name of the opening act for this band. And then, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry the rest of the guys couldn't be here. Because that became part of the shtick, too. Right, right, it was right. like, where's the rest of the band? I remember know? I remember when I first saw you for the uh, Wired for Laughs thing in the late 90s, because I saw the name Throwing Toasters on there. And you immediately think, oh, it's a, it's an a, it's a double act, at least. <laughs> right. It's a group of some kind. And then I think you even went up there. Yeah, the other guy. And I and I really thought, oh, there. I guess there were more guys in this that just didn't show up. So it's it was a great hook. It was a great gimmick. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny because the more I've done it, I've kind of moved away from that. Every once in a while, I'll say like, oh, sorry, the rest of the band couldn't make it. You know, if something's happens, like if you have like one of those shows where it's like, oh, you're doing comedy, but the Super Bowl's on too, so it's the audience. There's four people in the audience. Yeah. You know, I'll bring that joke back out. Oh, I've but, uh, uh, you sometimes have to go into the bag of tricks, the old bags, just <laughs> yeah. for certain moments. Yeah, but there was even uh, there was Dirk, Musty, and Timmy. Those are the rest of the band members' names. <laughs> and then uh, 
I th- we did we did for that first or for the the Alcon thing that I went and played at. I even filmed a video of like it's like a backstage video of us walking to the stage. And then, but slowly, one by one, things happen to the other guys. <laughs> and so finally, I turn around and I'm by myself. And then I step out on stage, you know, right as that's get great. To the stage door. Yeah, I it, was also, it went over really well. I was also thinking like a, a great album cover would be like you, like kind of front and center, and then four guys kind of blocked by different objects <laughs> yeah. on the cover. It's just throwing toasters, but you're the only one they. We did one for, I think, for my album Chrome which I really went full out, full production, had a book with all the lyrics and all that stuff, was we did a photo shoot, and it was, uh, I got my brother, uh, my friend Jody, who, uh, my friend Jody and my friend Kevin, who both played on the album. Um, we were all in a swimming pool, but they're only in, so you can only just see their eyes. And like, I'm the only one who's out of the pool. <laughs> so funny. it was kind of this thing, like, you never really, you know, and like the, yeah, the other album i did burnt the one i did before that was my picture was totally clear but then everybody else was just slightly out of focus you know it's like that um from uh oh uh almost famous yeah when the uh when they take the picture yeah yeah yeah, like the album cover the t-shirt is like one guy clear everybody else is blurry yeah yeah so the band fights begin so um now what i think is uh one of the coolest things because like i think every comedian they might start out as a stand-up because that's just the easiest way to just begin and then as you develop, maybe you get you become more of an actor, you get a sitcom or film career, become a writer. You took it in an incredibly different direction because you have started working and have been working with Jim uh, John Henson and the Henson Jim Studio. Henson. Jim Henson. A Jim Henson. The oh, Jim my, Henson Company. The Jim Henson Company, yeah. but specifically with John Henson. No, uh, Brian Henson. Brian, oh my God, Brian did I say Henson. John? No, well, John is one of his kids, but he died a, uh, a year or so ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Brian, but Brian was the one who was like Labyrinth. And... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Jim directed Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, uh, Jim Henson, but Brian worked on those things. Yeah, Brian yeah, yeah, was yeah. Uh, Hoggle, the voice of Hoggle in Labyrinth. Yeah, I think if so, If I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Um, but uh, working with the Henson Company... Yeah, doing uh, Pop It Up, which is basically an R-rated Muppets. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's adult adult puppets. Uh, it's like whose line is it anyway? Right, but it's with an puppets improv too, live with puppets. on stage. Yeah, yeah. So uh, please explain. Like, tell me, <laughs> like, how did that come to be? Uh, well, you know, and it's funny because it, it all kind of comes from the same places. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I loved that um, that Stan Freeberg. History of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Like I just thought that as a, as an audio recording was so great, and I've always loved audio and comedy music and and you know spoken Bob and Ray, whatever you know spoken bits and stuff like that. And uh, my friend Doug, who I mentioned before, who we met working at Disneyland, we started working on a show for public access television uh, called um, uh, Doctor Floyd. Uh, it had a longer name. Anyway, but it was Dr. Floyd. And this was right before you could edit stuff on a computer. Like mm-hmm. it was right, it was just right at that moment where you you couldn't, you know, it was just coming around. Final cut was just coming around or right. editing video on a computer. So, but we were doing at this public access station over in Eagle Rock. Using and, Avid. Um, well, we were using we filmed a tape and we're using like a big dual tape deck thing. Oh, back wow, to back. Oh, wow, wow. But it was really cheap. It was like, oh, it was only 50 bucks an hour. Which anywhere else it would have been like oh 150 bucks an hour to use right. you know, and um, anyway so we had these characters, um, but we just uh, ran out of money you know uh, to to do it and we had these characters and I was doing an internet radio show 
um, on Dementia Radio, which is sort of this bootleg comedy music station. Uh, they're still around. Um, and I would do a show, and I go, well, we have these characters. Let's do an old-time radio show or something like that Stan Freeberg thing with these characters. Mm-hmm. And that was in April of 2004. Uh, this is a long story to get to to answer your question, but no, I, okay. I swear I'm getting there. Uh, so I started doing that in April 2004, and for some reason, these little short three-minute episodes of these characters – uh, family-friendly, you know, episodes of these characters, people were loving it. People were, like the 13 people who listened to that station <laughs> at the time were like, when's the next episode of Dr. Floyd? We love Dr. Floyd. It's so great. So um, in uh, October of that year, um, or September, October, I read about podcasting for the first time. So this is 2004. And I was like, I just read about it last year. So. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, no. Well, that's uh, before uh, Adam Carolla got into it. It wasn't around. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, we. But I was like, oh, this is like the perfect medium for our show because they're short audio things. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can subscribe to it and get it once a week, and it's. And so started putting it out, and it was the first. Um, you know, like kind of really family friendly podcast. Like back in those days in 2004, this is before the iTunes podcast directory was out. It was like there was about 300 podcasts and we all knew each other. Like you were like, oh, there's. So you were right there Don at the Andrew. beginning of all this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. November 7th, 2004 was the first uh, episode we put out. I'm sorry. Is this, is this, is this <laughs> I was leaving you build. an edit point. There was a sneeze. <laughs> build. That's all right. I was going to mute. Um, it went away. That's fun. Okay. So. So shortly right after, um, like Dr. Floyd's like started picking up and it was popular and um, and and to answer your question about puppets, I've always been interested in puppets, but I never thought about doing anything um, uh, professionally. I've just, like we had puppets on this public access show that we did. Okay. And uh, anyway, so Dr. Floyd started to get popular, and then I had a connection at the Jim Henson Company, and I was a little bit like. The Jim Henson Company should have a podcast. If they had a podcast, like the fans would love it. Like if it was just like inside stories from the Jim Henson Company. Da, da, da. And I pitched it to them, and initially they said no. And then, uh, no, who was your friend in the Henson Company? Was he somebody high up? Was he just no, uh, not necessarily, just a connect. Like because I had done a um, in two thousand three when Henson still owned the Muppets, they did a. Uh, a pilot called America's Next Muppet because it was when American Idol was starting to blow up and get so huge. And they were like, we're going to do the same thing, but it's going to be for puppeteers. And um, so it was going to be America's Next Muppet. So they did a, a, a sizzle reel and they just, um, they knew that I, I, I loved building puppets. Like I, I not was not good at it, but it was just more of like a hobby thing. Like mm-hmm. I just do this in my spare time. I thought, how do you build a puppet? I'm just going to figure out how to do it. And um, so they, got in touch with me and they were like, oh, we're looking for amateur puppeteers to come film this thing. It's never going to be shown anywhere. Would you want to come do it? I said, yeah. So I met people over there then. Okay. And then I was like, yeah, you guys should have a podcast. And they were like, no, no, no. And then about a month or so later, they're like, you know what? We're having this anniversary event for Labyrinth uh, at the, I think it was at the, maybe the Museum of Television Radio or Maybe not. I don't know, somewhere it was somewhere like in Beverly Hills. But like we're having this big event. We're gonna show Labyrinth. We're gonna have people talk. We were thinking maybe you should do some interviews with the people who are gonna be there who worked on Labyrinth and oh, and wow. so that became the first episode of the podcast. 
So I did that from 2006 through 2012, I think, is when they put out the last episode. Wow. So for six years, you were you the host of this podcast? Yeah. Yeah, host, producer. That's everything. incredible. Yeah. It was, and we did, we did a lot of really good shows. Like, the shows are like a lot of fun interviews and stuff. And then every once in a while, because, I mean, they are a company, so it'd be shows like, okay, this one you're going to do about this new DVD we have coming out. And so it's a little bit more like, this new DVD is available right here. Right. And I would love it to be a little bit more like, you know... On the art or, or whatever. Got it, yeah. Um, but through that, uh, oh, through that, I guess it was through that initial America's Next Muppet thing, I met Leslie Carrara Rudolph, who is a puppeteer on Sesame Street. She's Abby Cadabby on Sesame Street. Oh, wow. And she, they were just starting Puppet Up. And she recommended, she said to Patrick Risto, she goes, you know, Grant is really funny. Because uh, we, I mean, this, I'm condensing the timeline here, mm-hmm. but she was like, Grant's really funny. I've, I've performed with him. Um, he'd be a good fit for this troupe because they were kind of opening it up to more than just the initial core people. So I was kind of the second, second and a half wave of, of people to come in and start training. But then every Monday night, for a while, it was every Monday and Tuesday night, I was going over to the Jim Henson Company. They were giving me free, <laughs> free dinner. Uh, and then for three hours, we would work on puppetry and improv. And it was wow. like the greatest thing in the world. And Holy. so now with Puppet Up, I've been to Toronto, Canada, done two weeks there, done a week, uh, two weeks in San Francisco. Uh, we went to Australia for five weeks, which was amazing. And then just this past summer, we had a residency at the Venetian in Las Vegas. And so I was there for... Um, eight weeks. I think it ran for nine weeks, and I was there for eight weeks. Oh my god! So it's it's one of my it's. I tell everybody it's it's not one of my favorite things to do. It's my favorite thing to do. I'm not surprised. That just sounds incredible. Yeah. Like it's, what a what, just what a because uh, again I was saying like you know comics you know they go you you generally it's acting and writing and this is such a different kind of a uh, uh, branch of talent to have you know in a different way to uh, get all that creative energy out. Yeah, it's got to feel just amazing. It's it's fun. It's like the greatest. Uh, Patrick Bristow always uh, jokingly says, "We've take puppetry and improv, two very low paying skills, and put them <laughs> together into one even lower paying skill," uh, which is totally true. But it's but it, it's like it's so much fun, and it's um, the cool thing I think is when people come and see the show. We don't hide behind a wall or anything. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, uh, I saw them do it. I'm not sure if you were part of it at the uh, Hollywood Improv. Yeah, that was right back? before right before I joined. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we just perform right in front of plain view of everything. So it's a lot of fun because you can see like, wow, how are they making the puppet look like it's doing that? And then you can just look at the puppeteers and go, oh, that's how they're doing it. You yeah, because um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but still the same way that I saw it in Hollywood, they have like a camera set up, kind of like hanging from the ceiling, and that's at uh, a certain level where if you raise your hands up with the uh, camera angle, it looks like the puppets are just kind of on the ground. Right. But you really have your hands up, like, into camera frame, and then there's screens that show what the shot looked like. Yeah. So that's how they still do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still... uh, The the camera's on a stand now from the... Okay. That's probably just in that venue, but yeah, it's it's to get technical. Excuse Mm me. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same way. Yeah, there's two screens, so you can either watch the locked-off shot or you can watch the puppeteers. Are you ever, like, in the middle of it where you have your hands up and you're... Well, I guess you're watching a monitor on the ground yeah. to see what you look like. Yeah. Do you ever just in the middle of it just kind of look up and see what where the crowd's looking? Um, or do you well, just the, kinda... the the cool thing is like we we usually we perform with six people. There's six people in the troupe, mm-hmm. so 
Uh, I do do a lot of crowd watching when I'm not in the scene because not everybody's in every scene. Oh, so you. it's like, you know, only two people or three people might be in this scene. Um, so I can kind of look out in the audience and uh, see if people are watching the screen or they're watching, uh, you know, the watching puppeteers. The puppet. Now, is it like, because um, um, I remember uh, I used to be in an improv troupe called Comedy Sports and we'd have like a whole box of props and costumes and, you know, depending on the scene, we'd all oh, grab this hat and this jacket and blah, blah. Do you have that with puppets, or you guys yeah. assigned your own puppets? No, we have a, a wall of about eighty puppets. Wow! Um, so it's just this this these racks and racks of puppets, and there's and just about any kind of puppet. I mean, there's fish, there's uh, you know possum, <laughs> there's a caveman, there's uh, just kind of humanoid looking things. There's you know just everything. We have mm-hmm. everything, and a lot of them are from past Henson productions that just either. They were built for a pilot, and the pilot didn't go anywhere. Or they were built for a show, and the show ran one season. But now they still have these puppets. So what mm-hmm. are they going to do with them? You know, we'll, we'll put them in this show. Um, so a lot of times, <clears throat> like we do this thing where we bring a, a couple up on stage and recreate their first date uh, in puppets, <laughs> and then they have a bell and a buzzer. And if they are agreeing with what the puppets are doing, they can hit ding. Or if they can hit. If they don't agree with how the puppets are portraying them, they can hit the buzzer, you know. And uh, it's it's one of the the most you know, the funniest bits in the in the whole thing because you don't know what's going to happen, with right, this, right? You know. And um, and I remember one time I was doing that and I was playing the guy and he was just this like he was kind of a hipster guy. And he had a, a beard and a flannel shirt on, and we have this like. It's a Bigfoot character, but it's like he's, you know, it looks like he has a big beard and he's got a flannel shirt on. And I was like, so I just went over and I got him and I kind of hid him from the audience because I was like, I think this will get, you know, this is perfect for this situation and this will get a laugh. And as soon as I brought him up, people were like dying. They thought it was funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, it doesn't always work out that way, but sometimes there is just the right perfect puppet for for what the suggestion is. Have you like doing the show, have you like created... Uh, like what's what's your favorite puppet moment that you've created? Um, one time that that it was really great. Uh, Colleen Smith is an amazing improviser um, and puppeteer, and she's in the thing. Um, she's on uh, Paul F. Tompkins Im- uh, Improvisation Nation uh, podcast all the time, but it, she's a brilliant improviser. And uh, we were doing a show in Toronto, and the suggestion, as Patrick took it, was squirrel baiting. So. <laughs> I don't know what this is. This is squirrel baiting. Da, da, da. And Colleen has this squirrel that she loves to, the squirrel puppet. So it was perfect for that thing. So she picks it up and she's she loves the squirrel puppet. And uh, I had this like armadillo puppet. And uh, she was off, when the when the lights came up and the, the screens kicked on, it was just me. And I started going, here, squirrel. Here, squirrel. And then she kind of like slowly hopped into frame. And this is not going to be funny when I explain this whole thing. But... She did the whole scene without saying a word because she was a squirrel. And so it just became this. And, and it's something that rarely happens because an improv show, you're like, hey, we got to get the jokes out. We got to get the joke. Right. And it was just this to me, it was this really fun scene. And it was so much fun to be a part of because there wasn't a lot of talking there. Were, and it was hilarious. And people were laughing. But it was just the whole joke was that. I would say something and the squirrel would start to get closer and closer. <laughs> and then I would say something else and the squirrel would back off like, oh, ooh, that's you know, Um you know, and that became like this armadillo's like, well, here's the keys to my car. The squirrel's coming closer, you know. Um, I don't know. That just to me, that really sticks out as one of my favorite. Because it was so anti what most yeah. improv shows are. And right, it still right. Worked. It was silent. And, and uh, you can even hear, I, I do have a recording of it. Um, you can hear Patrick at one point going, 
because uh, his mic is live, but he's not talking into it. But he's like, oh, you jerk. Because he's just saying like, because Colleen's not talking. You know what I mean? Like Colleen's not giving me. But I loved it. I, I didn't think of, you know, we, pl- we play with each other on stage mm-hmm. and we, we will purposely like, oh, yeah, we'll sing that song then. You know, like <laughs> that kind of stuff. And so to me, it was like, it was totally fun. I know? love that, man. I love that. I love when you're, especially because it's rare for comics to be uh, on stage with another person. Usually it's a very uh, solo kind of uh, uh, performance. So when you're able to have somebody to bounce off, yeah, you know, e- you know, either with words or just with silence and gestures, or whatever, it's just, I think for a performer, it's just like almost, uh, for a comic, I should say, it's almost this new experience within this world that you're used to. Yeah. So I could see how that something like that definitely stands out to you. Yeah, and it's great. Well, it's great to perform with a lot of the same people um, often because you get to know them, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I know that if we get you know this kind of suggestion, uh, Michael Ostrom knows everything about history, so I can throw something to Michael, and he's going to rattle off the history. You know, I know uh, Vanessa can come up with a song like that out of her head. So if I throw to Vanessa, she'll suddenly start singing this song. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. It's, you, you learn everybody's talents and Yeah, and, uh, and strengths. Strong and you, know, you can set them up. Um, the other cool thing that, that I, I got to do in the show is we have two vintage recreations of classic Jim Henson pieces. Um, so one is a piece that um, uh, Jim and his wife Jane did back on Jim's very first TV show, uh, I've Grown Accustomed to Your Face. And then the other one is um, a piece Frank Oz developed uh, called Java, which later made it onto the Muppet Show, um, but we recreate those live on stage because uh, they haven't been done in front of live audiences in decades. Oh wow! Um, and being a part of those is like also a huge part of doing that show. Like you know, for me, it's just like okay, I get to you know be the lady singer during I've Grown Accustomed to Your Face. You know, it's really it's really awesome. And oh. we're just both of those things are just kind of lip synky type things, mm-hmm. but you really feel like. This is history, yeah, you know, no, like no, puppet no. history. Yeah, exactly. But this is puppet history. You know? See, because I, um, uh, I read Jim Henson's uh, biography. I thought mm-hmm. I had it over there. I think I have it in the other room. Um, and I just thought it was just an amazing story. Like, just his not only his perseverance and his uh, stick-to-itiveness, but just apparently his whole demeanor and attitude about everything was very just like, for like a better term, hippie-ish. Yeah. You know? And um, the fact that, like, I remember seeing some of those old. Uh, Muppet um, uh, vignettes, and from when, what was the uh, the the TV show that he the first when he had Rolf that first premiere? Uh, the, Jimmy Dean show. Jimmy Dean show, you yeah. know, and I YouTube some of those old uh, yeah clips just to see what they like, and the old coffee thing that he uh, yeah Wilkins and uh, Wilkins and Wonkins yeah, yeah Wilkins yeah. and Wonkins exactly, yeah. and uh, just it's it's so cool to see that now that you telling me that it's just what a great just. Uh, I don't know, great thing, to, like, like you said, great thing to be a part of, recreating something that was so iconic. Yeah. Coming from a man who is so iconic. One thing I loved about, because I read that same book uh, as well, and and did the same exact thing. Um, as soon as I would read something in the book, I would go look it up on YouTube, mm-hmm. and most of it is out there, which is really great. Really great. Um, and I, I realized early on, because um, I sort of had this little puppet character uh, that I had on Vine, the social media service mm-hmm. Vine. And... Um, so I was kind of doing these little, you know, puppet things on Vine and stuff, and reading through that book and those those um, those old coffee commercials. Those old coffee commercials were eight seconds. Yeah. And I was like, and and uh, I think either the last two seconds or the last one second had to be a picture of the coffee. Right. So I was like, he was doing vines back <laughs> in the fifties. 
Because that's basically what they you had six seconds to true. to do this joke, you know. And then his his other show, Salmon Friends, um, which was on every night before the news, was a right. five minute long show um, in the Washington D.C. area. And I was like, that's he was doing like web webisodes, yeah, you know, like for TV. Um, Very and, ahead of the curve. Yeah, it would it would have been amazing to see you know uh, what he would have done with what we have now. I you know. know, I know. Well, I think uh, I mean. Does uh did does does Brian ever like talk about you know him and how like oh if my dad was here he'd be taking this and doing this or da 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 um sometimes every once in a while I mean you know Brian's got some amazing stories like he tells some uh funny tales and uh, you know like like I remember like when we were starting Vegas and I was gonna start as the the lady singer and I've grown accustomed to your face this thing he goes go back and watch the video and watch what my dad did you know in this and just notice that he does this. And, you know, and we're very much encouraged to, like, you can kind of put your own little spin on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make it completely different, but you can you can add little things to it. But he was like, this is the this is the core of this thing. Go watch it and go make sure you know this. Nice. Um, and he goes, because you've done it a lot, but he goes, it's always good to review it, you know, and go back and look at this thing. Oh, so. that's cool. So they're still, well, that, that's great that they still, uh, they give you your own space, but still try to keep the, uh, the the core, the root of where that came from. Yeah. Is it just for those vignettes or for when you guys are doing anything? Just like, hey, you know, well, the, the the initial Muppet style was more like this kind of fluidity as opposed to this rigidness or something. Well, by the point we get to um, performing, uh, most of us have been through so much training. Like that should be, that should be in there. But like, you know, like Brian will be watching Stumpin' and he'll be go, okay, make sure that the, the hand doesn't dip too low in the frame or make sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're, it's just little, little like finessing things, and, oh, yeah. and like, Tweaks. but that is what the Muppet style is: is making sure that you know the because uh, you know, you know, everyone knows that Kermit has rods on his hands. Right. Everyone knows that, but um, a lot of times they keep his hands right at the bottom of the edge of frame. So even if he's gesturing, you don't see a lot of that rod. Mm. Um, you know, everyone like if he's going, yeah you know like that or whatever then yeah you know because there's no way to hide it that way right right but but it's just little things like that like okay keep those at the bottom of the frame because we want to suspend the disbelief that this is a real you know once you see that rod you know mm. ah it's a puppet right you know I, uh, that's why the the recent muppet series was so great was they did a lot of of keying out of the rods mm-hmm. but then they also did a lot of like really great like hiding of the rods so like, there's one thing i remember there's a big one episode where there's a big table read and Kermit's at the end and he kind of lifts up his hands and there's a salt shaker on the table that is perfectly blocking his rod, rod. you know? Um, and I don't know if that was added in post or if that was added before, but you can kind of get creative in how you block those out. But so little things like that, Brian will tell us. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I always, um, cause you know, when, when you were, I don't know about you, I'm sure same as me, but like, you know, you see Kermit and you don't think of it as a puppet, even though, you know, it's a puppet. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite Muppet moments was, uh, one where it was, it, it was a Sesame street clip where Kermit was talking to a little girl about doing the alphabet and she kept going cookie monster. Yeah. And you see that look in her face. Like she wasn't looking at Jim Henson. She was looking right at Kermit and, you know, and that great playing off her when Jim was making Kermit more frustrated and, and he walks away, and she goes, "I love you." And he comes back, "I love you too." And just what? Yeah. It was like the sweetest little moment. It's yeah. still, it's still, to the, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. Yeah. Like, well, it's fun. It's fun to, you know, um, when you get into that space where it's like the person's talking to the puppet, and like they'll even because after shows, after puppet up shows, we'll take a couple of puppets out to the audience, to take pictures with people, you know, out, mm-hmm. out in the lobby to take pictures with people. 
who want their pictures with a puppet. And, um, you know, but I'm when I do it, it's I'm talking as the character the whole time, even though I'm there. Right. And, you know, you'll get people who are talking to the puppet, and then all of a sudden they'll look at you and go, I'm talking to a puppet, you know? And it's like, good, that, I'm doing my job. And you're doing if your job, exactly. Yeah. If you're believing that this is a, a, a character, a person, then good. Then that's so, um, Last thing I want to ask, yes. have you um, ever thought about, because you're a great singer, great musician, and a great puppeteer, Avenue Q? Has that ever come across your, uh, your, um, your desk? I, you know, I, I'm probably hor- I'm, I'm I haven't seen it. <laughs> I've seen clips of it. I've heard some of the songs from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen it. Um, and it's nothing. I'm not. I'm kind of not a big musical guy. You know, like okay. I'm more of like a Oklahoma <laughs> South Pacific style musical. These newfangled musicals. I don't. <laughs> These kids don't know Learner and Low. Now they was musicals. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I just, I just, I haven't seen. It. I mean, it's, it's great. It's fine. But, um, but have you, have never been approached to? Uh, no, not to be in it or anything like oh, that. Okay. I, I did a show that was, um, there's a, these puppet builders named Swazzle, and they had a touring show for a while. This was two years ago or something like that. They had a touring show called Dream Carver, which was a little, you know, it's like it's a live stage show. It's a set play. It's not improv, you know, improv or anything right. like that. And um, there was a little bit of stuff like that where you, most of the time you're behind a wall, but every once in a while you would come out and you're singing as part of a chorus. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel... Uh, I think I'm an okay singer, like when I'm singing my stuff, but like I can't read music because I, as I told you, I kind of learned how to do it all myself and, right. um, you know, play guitar off the internet and all that kind of stuff. And w- if I'm looking at she, like I can't read it. It's like, oh, I know this note is higher than the note I sang before, <laughs> but I don't know how to hit it. Oh, I got you. You know, so um, like even when in Puppet Up on uh, at. Vegas, they were really drilling us on the song because we have an opening and closing song, mm-hmm. and they really wanted it to sound good. And they were like, "Okay, we're gonna have harmonies." We're gonna and like instantly, I was like, "Oh no!" Because like I, I that's not like I can sing and make it sound nice if I'm the only one singing. But the moment I'm supposed to harmonize with somebody, it all yeah. goes out the window. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just it's just yeah, I have not been approached, but I don't know if I would necessarily do. Even that Dream Carver tour was rough on me because I was like, I'm supposed to be hitting these notes and I know I'm not hitting these notes. I got so that's throwing me off more. So. All right, well, then stick with what... Stop! Don't make me do Avenue Q! Do it! I got the Flip. producer in the other room! <laughs> Grant, thank you, dude, for, oh, uh, thank for you. sitting this and fun. talking. It was a lot of fun, man. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can go to mrgrant.com, just mm-hmm. M-R-G-R-A-N-T.com, and uh, that has links to everything else. Toaster Boy on Twitter, Throwing Toasters on Instagram. Um, yeah. Well, there you go. And you guys, do you have another Puppet Up tour coming along? No, I've heard that there's going to be some sort of uh, shows this summer oh, cool. uh, or or this spring. Um, I haven't heard anything more about them. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, PuppetUp.com is the place to go for that. Fantastic. Um, well, uh, if you're in the area, folks, and you know Puppet Up is going or coming, go see it because, I, like I said, I saw it that time at the Hollywood Improv. It was incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, guys, you know where you can get me, flipisfunny.com, what's for dinner, podcast.com, WFD podcast at Twitter, and um, all my uh, albums on iTunes and all that fun shit. Thank you guys for uh, sticking around. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see my you later. Pleasure. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What, what's for dinner? Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking about what's ever on their minds.